Hey, this is Dan, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast where I talk legal stuff with lawyers that I know, like, and trust. I hope you find the information really useful, and if you need legal help, that you reach out to one of these lawyers directly or drop by lawbydan.com, and I can steer you in the right direction. Here is your podcast. You may have heard of the horrendous accident that occurred at the Melbourne show last week when a woman was struck by a roller coaster. Shyla Rodden is believed to have walked onto the track of the Rebel Coaster ride to retrieve her phone when she was struck by a moving carriage on Sunday. The 26-year-old who is working at the show is believed to have been thrown into the air on impact and fallen nine metres to the ground. She consequently sustained significant injuries to the brain, ribs, arms, legs and feet. At the time of recording this podcast, she sadly remains in the ICU. Of course, these types of accidents aren't unusual in the context of theme parks with a history of terrible accidents, possibly none worse than the Dreamworld water rapid ride that claimed the lives of a number of people. It begs the question what legal recourse is available to people who have sustained injuries on a ride or because of a ride. Well, to find out, I'm with award-winning personal injury law specialist, Courtney Polden from Bilby Polden Costello, a leading Sydney compensation practice. Courtney, another tragic case. It is, it is, Dan, and um, as you said, they're not uncommon incidents. Uh, fortunately, not all of them are as tragic as the Dreamworld uh, cases that you spoke of, or this very serious accident in Melbourne. But uh, you know, you're dealing with uh, machinery at heights and at speed, and it's always going to have risks for uh, for patrons. Courtney, what are the options for people who have been injured on a ride in seeking compensation for for those injuries? Well, there's no question that the operators of the theme park, um, you know, have a, a duty of care to everybody who uh, who, who uh, enters their premises to take reasonable care for their safety. And if there's a breach of that duty, then there's no doubt there's legal recourse. It's a different situation in some ways to a lot of other um, ways that you look at compensation because here you have not only a negligence case where breach of duty of care is important, but you also have a contractual circumstance whereby when you buy your ticket for the ride, you essentially enter into a contract with the operator of the ride and one of their obligations that's implied in that contract is that they will take proper care for your safety. Now, um, in those circumstances, their failures almost inevitably lead to you having rights to, to take proceedings against them. Courtney, what about those circumstances where you know some of those disclaimers might essentially try to abrogate responsibility? Do they hold up uh, in, in the cold light of day? Well, that will depend on the circumstances. Um, you'll find that most of the uh, backs of the tickets to the extent anyone looks at them can contain the clause that say that we won't be liable for injuries caused by our negligence and otherwise. But in, in, in some circumstances, they do get their protection, but most of them they don't. I'll give you some examples of where, um, where you have um, um, different problems. Let's take uh, one of the obvious circumstances where a person's unsuitable for a ride by reason of their age or their height or their weight. 
and uh, that they're let on um, in breach of their own regulations. There's circumstances where the machinery that's been used, let's take a let's take a Ferris wheel type situation or a ride, um, where the maintenance um, has not been properly upkept, and they haven't complied with occupational health and safety standards. Um, the design of mach design of the ride may not be suitable, and certainly not suitable. Or there may be operation errors. One of the obligations of a um, operator of a uh, a fun park or theme park is to ensure that its staff has had adequate and proper training. That might mean, for example, you know, from your own experience, I'm scared of these things now, I don't go near them, but um, when I did, there'd be, you'd be locked into a frame, you'd have to make sure that latches were properly in place and those types of things. Failure to, to train your staff to, uh, to perform those safety uh, safety steps uh, is also something that you probably can't protect by reason of a exclusion clause in the contract. Courtney, I know that you, both you and I don't know a whole lot about this particular case in Melbourne, but there is a suggestion that uh, this girl has walked in front of this moving carriage. It does then enliven this topic around contributory negligence, doesn't it? Yeah, well, look, it has to be relevant to the issue of contributory negligence. Um, much would depend on, and I'm not sure of the factual circumstances, but if she put herself in danger by doing something that was contrary to the rules, then the question of negligence or contributory negligence must arise. It's not uncommon from my experience for there to be signs up, you know, do not dismount right at any time or something along those lines. And in the face of that type of warning, it may be difficult for her uh, to argue um, that her conduct, whatever it was, trying to get her mobile phone or what have you, um, um, was not something that for which she accepts her own responsibility. But you know, I, I haven't. I say that without having investigated any any further than reading the newspapers, and I'm not sure what's happened. But you're right; that must be a relevant factor. And Courtney, I suppose it's probably worth emphasising that just because you may have contributed to the accident doesn't necessarily mean that you miss out completely on compensation. That's exactly so. And I mean, that's what you need legal advice for, Dan. And then, you know, you take, for example, um, somebody who um, was walking down an area next to uh, a, one of those slippery slide pool rides and slipped over and fell and they were running. Well, it well, may well be, for example, that the, they were negligent for having a slippery surface uh, where they knew that patrons would be walking, but by running, you may have increased the risk to yourself. So the way that that's unwound in a legal sense is that there's a original finding of negligence, and let's just say you're negligent and you get $100,000. If a court or a tribunal is to find that you're 50% responsible for yourself, it's not that you don't get anything, it's just that you get only 50% of the verdict. So uh, it's important to make sure um, that you investigate things by way of legal advice rather than just assuming that, you know, I played a part and therefore I have no rights. As we know, in the Dreamworld case, there were a number of lives that were lost. How do you know family members go about claiming compensation in the event that one of their loved one dies as a result of one of these rides? That, that depends very much on, uh, on the, the, the circumstances of the family. Uh, for example, if a father of two was uh, badly injured on a ride or in fact died on a ride, then there'd be a claim on behalf of his family for the loss of 
um, dependency upon him, both in a financial and other sense. Uh, in circumstances where it's not someone who has dependence, the law allows a claim to be brought in what we call nervous shock. What that means is if you're a close member of the family, which is generally defined by the law to be uh, parents, siblings and brothers and sisters, uh, you can bring a claim if you have suffered a recognised psychiatric disorder as a result of the trauma following the death of your close family member. Now, that extends to not only an allowance for um, the way that it's affected you emotionally and physically, but if it's impacted upon your lifestyle, your work, there's also entitlements for claim for financial losses as well. Australian law and certainly New South Wales law doesn't recognise the concept um, of a wrongful death claim like they do, for example, in the United States. We have a compensation system which allows payments based on the loss consequent upon the death rather than the fact of the death itself. So uh, it's certainly something you need to get on advice on because the law in that area is pretty complex and uh, there's a lot of changes uh, coming in precedent cases uh, at the moment. So uh, yeah, you certainly need to get advice if that horrible event befalls you. And getting advice very promptly, Courtney. I think that's important, particularly in the types of accidents we're discussing. Um, it would be inevitable that there would be an investigation by um, government bodies in relation to any serious accident in a theme park, but you want to monitor things yourself and to be able to get hold of photographs, speak to witnesses, get statements as soon as you practically can because we all know that people's recollections get worse as time goes on and rather than relying upon the you know the police or the work cover or some other government body to investigate you want to be on the front foot yourself to make sure uh, that you've done everything you can to advance your case and that usually means getting legal advice as soon as you practically can and importantly there are time limits with you know many of these types of claims as well isn't there well there certainly are the general time limit for tort cases is three years from the date you know you've got a cause of action and there's a legal definition of that in contractual cases, that might be as much as six years, but you don't want to be taking any risks and um, and and, um, uh, and taking any chances about limitation periods. They are strict and they can have the effect of uh, excluding your entitlement. So better to find out early on. And if it is the fact that your lawyer tells you, look, we've got some time to do this when you can sit back, prepare your case uh, and make sure you meet that deadline. But certainly, certainly you don't want to take risks with uh, statutory limitation periods passing. Courtney, thanks for joining me. Pleasure, Dan. Nice talking to you as always. Thanks again for tuning in to this edition of the Law by Dan podcast. If you found it informative, please consider giving the show a rating, whether you're on Spotify or iTunes or any other streaming service. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me at lawbydan.com.